Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Frary and Smith podcast. Saturday will mark a banner day for the Sunbelt Conference with six teams participating in bowl games across the country. Coastal Carolina and Georgia State are both headed out west for their bowl matchups and we're excited to talk about those games shortly. But before we do, we wanted to tell you about Monday's episode. Gaten and I broke down the Birmingham Bowl between Troy and Duke, plus Sunbelt Offensive Player of the Year and Championship Game MVP Kimani Vidal joined us along with some special guests, Eric McLean and Kelly Gramlich, who cover the ACC. If you missed it, you need to go back and give it a listen. Today, it's episode 164 of the show, and we're excited to break down another pair of bowl games as we inch toward the finish line of our bowl season preview series. We're discussing the Easy Post Hawaii and famous Idaho Potato Bowls on today's show. We'll break down each matchup. We'll discuss the key storylines ahead of the game as well. Plus, Sunbelt all-time leading receiver Sam Pinckney will stop by to discuss Coastal Carolina's bowl preparations. Kanan, with all that said, these are two unique matchups. Georgia State was red hot early but faded down the stretch. Coastal Carolina got off to a slow start and then ran off a five-game winning streak down the stretch. They'll both have an opportunity to end the year on a high note. Why are these bowl matchups so important for both of these programs, Caden? Yeah, it's a good question, though. I think when you look at both of these teams, the winning they did this season was definitely in bunches. There's no hiding it. The Georgia State team started off the year with four straight wins, and Coastal Carolina goes on their five-game win streak. That's one of the most impressive performances we've seen, really, from a team this year. And I think when you look at both of these teams now not ending their season the way they wanted to, Georgia with a lot of losses in a row, and Coastal Carolina with just two in a row. It'd just be great to see both of these programs get back on the winning side of things to end the season. Just like we've talked about with other other teams in the conference, this bowl game is just a great opportunity for a lot of younger players to play, a lot of players that are going to have an impact going into the offseason and into the next season. And the better those guys can play and perform, the more confidence they're going to have, the program's going to have, the fan base is going to have going forward. So when you just look at even a team like South Alabama last year in the game and the performance they had in their bowl game, we see the season they had this year, not saying they're directly related per se, but it definitely doesn't help if you're getting into some losing ways and, and ending your season in a right way to create some positive momentum in the offseason, that's for sure. Yeah, Kane, you're right. Momentum and wins matter at this time of the year, not only for the team, but also for the conference as a whole as they look to have a good bowl record, which can affect placements in the future. So a lot riding on these matchups. Well, like we promised, Coastal Carolina's Sam Pinckney is here. Let's not waste any more time. It's time to hear from one of the best wide receivers in Sunbelt history. Well, we are pleased to be joined by Coastal Carolina wide receiver Sam Pinckney in Hawaii right now. How you doing, Sam? Doing well, man. Enjoying this little view. I don't know if I can turn it around or anything, but it's beautiful out here. I can just flip the camera. Yeah, for those who cannot see Sam right now, he is showing me the view from his hotel in Hawaii. I am jealous right now. My co-host Noah Frere is actually on his honeymoon, so I'm the only one here that's not getting tropical. But Sam, it's funny on this episode... We're talking also about your former team in their bowl game, Georgia State. You spent four seasons in Atlanta with that program before taking your talents to Conway, South Carolina. What went into that decision, and why was Coastal Carolina the right fit to wrap up your college career? Um, Coastal Carolina felt like a perfect fit, man. It felt like it felt like home to me. Uh, I'm from South Carolina, from Greenwood, South Carolina, so it's just uh, just being able to to come back home is just like a amazing thing. Uh, bringing my family, you know, closer to the beach and stuff where she grew up. And, you know, we used to go to the beach all the time growing up when we were young. Uh, it's just amazing. I've been enjoying every every moment of it, and I couldn't be more blessed and more thankful. Now, Sam, it's no secret you're an older guy. You're a sixth 
your player. I was once a super senior. I've been there before. And you're living a different life than some of your teammates. You're a husband. You're a father. I'm sure it looks a lot different than when you were coming in as a freshman. You're a freshman that came in this season as well to Coastal Carolina. Could you maybe tell us what it was like being that veteran presence in the locker room this season in your final year? Um, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely very, like, it, it lets off a lot of, like, stress on my shoulders. Like, when I go home and stuff like that, get to hang out with my wife and, you know, my daughter, it just – it just realized that, you know, football is only temporary and you got to you got to be a husband and father, you know, through the rest of your, you know, your days and stuff like that. So, I mean, just enjoying enjoying the process and and being able to guide others the right way and just lead by example each and every day is just it's just amazing. And uh, I couldn't thank, you know, my wife and my daughter enough each and every day just for for allowing me to just have that extra little drive, that extra juice, you know, each and every day. And then just. Just creating a bond with my brothers, you know, on the field, on and off the field is just it's just awesome as well. Now, Sam, this team went through a big change this offseason when Coach Tim Beck was hired. You've had quite a few head coaches in your college career now. Could you maybe tell us what separates him from the others you had and what's it been like having him as your head coach in your last year? Um, with Coach Beck, I mean, he he's trained me to be more of a pro. So he, he's developing me for the next level. I mean, also, he's 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 taught me so much throughout the this one year. Uh, I learned so much this year than than I've I've learned since I've been in college, and he he's just he's continuing to just uh, just help help all my all my my boys around and and just on and off the field. He's just a great guy, and, and he's always willing to you know talk to you through any any situation. He's he's a very good people person. Like he's not just strictly just business only. He's a, he's a really good people person. He's really he's really just a he's just a really good coach, man. I wish I would have did more than one year. With him. For sure, for sure. I know just seeing his resume this offseason, getting to talk to him, he seemed like a special coach and definitely made his impact in the first year in the conference and likely will for many years to come now. But we talked about you being a veteran. Another big veteran of this team was Grayson McCall, your quarterback. He joined us joined us on the show in September, episode 118 for our listeners who want to check that out. But safe to say now, looking back at his career, it's he's the best player in program history. Seeing him play now on your team and against him, what makes him special both on and off the field and how fun was it playing your last two seasons in Conway with Grayson? Man, it was awesome playing with him, man. I uh, I always tell him, I was like, man, I wish I could have did more than just two years with you, man. Because, like, uh, he just – he makes people around him so much better and the way he carries himself is just just undeniable. You know, you can't – you can't uh, – you can't coach what he's able to to do on the field, you know, and, and just, like, the leadership that he handles and, and the way he just carries himself and uh, – He's just a really good guy, and, and he just has a special talent. Like his decision making skills is just under, like just unreal. And my job is just you know get open. He's gonna put the ball where it needs to be. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm enjoying this time with him while while he's here, and just you know enjoying this moment, this last little little bit of time before you know we we part ways. So. There's no doubt on this program, we're definitely wishing him the luck at his next stop. I know I did not enjoy playing Grayson McCall in the ACC. We'll probably feel the same <laughs> way with him next year. But Sam, it's no secret this team got off to a slow start. Y'all lost the first two games in conference play. Next thing you know, y'all go on this impressive five-game winning streak, despite which makes it even more impressive, in my opinion, having three different starting quarterbacks during that stretch. What would you say fueled that midseason run, and what will you remember most from that five-game stretch? Uh, Coach Bet was big on like falling back on our trainer. So we had to just go back to what we what we were trained to do, and um, I felt like that we had like the first you know two games were just like you know I felt like we was we had a lot of pressure underneath us, 
like we felt like we we had to go in and win these games. But but since we had those two losses off off the back, and it was just like, well, what, what else we have to lose? We have something to prove. Like you know, like we don't have nothing else to lose. We just lost two games, and uh, Coach Beck has just been really, and all the coaches they have really been installing like uh, championships aren't made like aren't you're not gonna win championships in November or December. So that's when that's when like ball becomes like real. So um, we just been like you know just falling back on our training just. Just taking one day at a time and just you know showing showing the world that we we are able to play and like we able to compete with anybody on on the field. Definitely an impressive stretch, and you had some impressive career milestones during that stretch. You became the Sun Belt's all-time receiving yards leader and college football's leader in consecutive games with a catch at fifty-five, a streak that's now at fifty-seven. What does it mean to you to have your name kind of forever etched in the college history football books? I mean, it's a blessing. I mean, being in being in college for six years. I mean. Uh, I mean, I've been playing ball for for a while in college, so uh, it's definitely a blessing just to be be in that situation. I couldn't thank you know the, the offensive line at, at both both college both colleges and and just like the quarterbacks that I've been playing with, just giving me the opportunity. I mean, uh, my job is to catch the ball, so I'm just gonna do the very best of my ability to just make make my quarterback look good and and the people around me find ways to win games. Well, definitely big congrats on that. I know that's something that you and your family are probably going to remember forever. It'll be great to look back on as your career gets further and further from, from being where it is right now. But we talked about it earlier, Sam. You're in Hawaii. You're looking at the water right now. It's it's true that not all bowl games are created equally. You and me have both been in our fair share of bowl games. What was the reaction like for yourself and your teammates when you found out you were going to the Hawaii Bowl? And what are the chances you try to stick around now maybe a couple of days after this game is over? Man, it is unreal, like, knowing that that we're in Hawaii right now. Like it's still it's still not wrapped around my head that we're on an island in Hawaii, uh, just enjoying this life right now. Like there's my guys are on the pool right now, like they're on the beach and just enjoying the time. I mean, it's different. Like, you know, we're we're at coastal, so uh we're we're near the beach, but here it's just like a different world. And I mean, it's five hours behind. So right now, what is it like? Is it nine o'clock over there right now? It's only four, it's only four here, so it's just it's just so crazy. And yeah, the guys, the guys are waving at me now. And, uh, I mean, we, we're just enjoying this moment, soaking it all in. I mean, this is my last year, you know, last bowl game, so I'm just soaking it all up and just enjoying, enjoying the process. And it'd be, it'd be a lot better if we come, come home with a ring. You know, that's all I've been wanting to do. And so this, this is, this would be a, a time to happen. Well, we're glad you're enjoying yourself. You're definitely playing in the bowl game that the most college football players are jealous of. But before we let you go, let's talk about the San Jose State team you're facing. They're really good at shutting down the passing game. Their secondaries look great. What have you seen from them in your preparation, whether that's film, and what do you think the biggest keys for success for this offense are going to be in this matchup? Um, definitely just, you know, trust trust the game plan. Trust what uh, what, uh, what our offense coordinator is going to call and, um, and just go out there and just execute, you know. Um, I feel like Throughout this whole season, we've just been like beating ourselves. We've been shooting ourselves in the foot. Uh, but when we get on that roll, I feel like nobody can stop us. And and so I just feel like we just take it one play at a time, uh, one day at a time. Like we're prepping right now, so we're still prepping. We have practice today and we have practice tomorrow. Uh, I just feel like we just take it one day at a time and just just execute on the plays that are called. I feel like everything will go go well. They play a lot of zone covers. They don't they don't play a lot of man. So you just gotta find the sweet spot and just you know. Go after after that. 
Definitely excited for you in this last much matchup. And last question for you, Sam. We've talked about it before. Your college career is going to come to an end on Saturday. You accomplished a lot, whether that's in the history books, whether that's with wins and losses. When it all comes to its conclusion on Saturday, how do you want to be remembered as a player, whether it's with Coastal Carolina or Georgia State, looking back at your Sunbelt career? Um, just a guy that was like a team first guy that worked hard and that tried to lead by example. I mean, I always try to go in somewhere and, and make it and leave it off better than where I came, came in. And, and so I just try to, just keep stay high in faith, you know. Uh, bring bring guys up with me. Uh, I'm not really like a vocal guy, but uh, I, I've been trying to work on that and just been trying to just help people around me. Just just build on to to what I'm trying to you know try to give out and and just try to find ways to win games, you know, and just enjoy the process while I'm in. Well, it's definitely safe to say you left your mark, Sam. Appreciate you spending some time with us, and best of luck to you this Saturday in the Hawaii Bowl. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, man. Enjoy the time. Okay, and that was a great interview you did there with Sam Pinckney. Some logistics did not allow me to be there. I've gone back, though, and listened to it, and I found his comments, particularly about legacy, you know, very interesting to hear. This is a guy who has been one of the best wide receivers in the conference over the last six seasons and now going out on a high note at Coastal Carolina. Yeah, it was great talking to Sam about just kind of as a once in a, in a lifetime career you get in college when you get dealt a hand of playing in the Sun Belt, deciding to stay within the Sun Belt and going to another program and also getting afforded a redshirt year in a COVID year. You see the longevity of his career really get to play out and him get the rare opportunity to take advantage of that as he was with just his amazing records that kind of show his Ironman status in the conference. I think when it comes to longevity and production, it's hard to mess with Sam. So it was just great hearing his backstory and his come up and how he's gotten to the point now where he can look back at his career, sit back in Hawaii and chill, and really just be proud of the body of work he's created. That's just rare when you look at the college football game. Yeah, I got to admit, I wish I was on a beach uh, in Hawaii, like I'm sure Sam Pinckney is after that interview. But he's there to play in the easy post-Hawaii Bowl. Coastal Carolina coming in 7-5. and five. They will face a San Jose State team that's also 7-5, and five, but in the Mountain West Conference this year. This game played at Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex in Honolulu, Hawaii on December 23rd. This Saturday at 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 p.m. Central on ESPN. Okay, and a couple notes about this game. This represents Coastal Carolina's fourth consecutive trip to a bowl game. They hold just a 1-2 and two record in their previous three trips, including losing to East Carolina last year. This will be the program's first ever trip to Hawaii, and they're going to face a San Jose State team for the first time in this matchup. Okay, and I briefly alluded to this earlier, but this is a Coastal Carolina team that got off to a slow start this year. They lose their first two Sunbelt Conference games to Georgia State and Georgia Southern, but then they orchestrate a five-game winning streak with three different quarterbacks, by the way, which makes it a very impressive streak. This team and their first-year head coach, Tim Beck, faced, honestly, a lot of adversity this year, but Okay, and they overcame it to go 7-5 and five in the regular season. And honestly, I'd call the first year Sands Jamie Chadwell a success so far in Conway. Yeah, you have to give your hats off to Tim Beck for the coaching job he was able to do this year. Just looking at the, the adversity they were able to battle, like you mentioned, and being able to still put themselves kind of strongly in the battle for the East Division winner throughout the entire season, just given JMU circumstances. When you look at those two straight losses to Georgia State and Georgia Southern, you were, it's very easy to count this team out. And it was even easier to count them out when you looked at their quarterback situation. You talk about winning five straight games with five different quarterbacks with Jared or Jared Guest, Grayson McCall, and Ethan Vasco, all having different skill sets, all having different levels of experience, and all having different play styles. 
the fact that they were able to rattle off those five straight wins is, like I've said in the past, one of the most impressive coaching jobs and jobs we've seen from the entire season. We were worried about the defense this offseason as well. That was a unit that improved and was a huge part of that winning streak as well. They gradually, slowly but surely, after showing little signs here and there of running the ball well in, more, in quarters and halves, really put their floor to their foot to the floor when it came to actually running the ball during that winning streak and being able to really be an effective offense despite having so much turnover at the most important position on the entire field. So the fact that he was able to do that coach Beck in his first season just gives you more confidence, I think, as a program going into next year, helping you don't get kind of a season from hell that people call it when you have that much turnover and that much switching you have to do under center. It just has to give you more confidence going to the future. You know you're going to lose some big senior players, but the fact that the offensive foundation has been now reestablished in this program with him at the helm, the defense is getting improved under Craig Niver. I think this program had a great year given their circumstances and just gives more promise for them going into next season if they do happen to have better circumstances, which you would imagine they would. Yeah, and Caden, I think to your point, we all kind of expected Coastal Carolina to be good this year, but we also knew it was going to be a transitionary year for this program to a, a new play style. I think it went well, but now you look into the offseason and Coastal Carolina already making some noise in the transfer portal. I think that this is a program that moving forward is well positioned to continue to compete uh, in that Sunbelt East. But Caden, before we talk about this bowl matchup, let's talk about a player that at this point I'm not expecting to play, and that's Coastal Carolina quarterback Grayson McCall. He announced last week that he's transferring to NC State for his final season of collegiate eligibility. He's going to go closer to home. He's going to end his career as what I'm going to say the greatest player to ever put on a Coastal Carolina uniform. He's thrown for over 10,000 yards. He's ran for 1,100 more. He's responsible for 106 career touchdowns, which is the most ever by a Sean and Clear. Caden, assuming we don't see him and again in a coastal uniform, put into perspective his career and what he was able to accomplish in Conway. It's monumental. I think when you look at him being kind of crowned the best player in this program's history, when you look at the history of the Sunbelt Conference at large and the hardware he's been able to take year after year after year home with him, you could argue that he's the best player this conference has ever seen. This is a guy I've played against. And it's the real deal when you go up against a quarterback that's elite like this. When you have a guy like this that's able to execute and be as efficient as he was in his entire career, put up the numbers he was able to do and obviously present them with those giant seasons and especially 2020 and 2021. This is a guy who, no matter where he... Whatever his transfer status is, wherever he goes to play football, whatever his career looks like after this, there's there's no doubt when he goes back to Conway, he's going to get a warm reception and a warm welcome just because of what he was able to do for this newer program when it comes to the Sunbelt Conference as a whole and looking at kind of the map of college football and the school's history and all of their greatest moments right now. A lot of them are tied to Grayson McCall. I just think the biggest shame was us not being able to watch him finish out the season with the injury. We saw him get off to that rough start having that uncharacteristic game against UCLA where he threw two interceptions. We're not used to this guy even throwing one interception in a ball game, but watching him really get into his rhythm, figure out this offense. And that was definitely on display in the App State game you were in person for, just one of the most amazing performances we've seen him have in the entire season. It's just a shame we didn't get to see more of that. But when you look back at his career, you can't really complain with the amount of Grayson McCall you were able to get. Just give him the kind of heights he was able to take this program to the figure, the head of the program, the face of the franchise. This was a guy who checked all those boxes as far as the leader that you want running out of the tunnel week in and week out, knowing you always have a chance with him to win under center. So you can't say enough about the career this guy's built for sure. His body of work speaks for itself. And if anyone has some free time, they can scroll through all of his accolades on the team website because there's a ton of them. And this guy definitely left his mark on the program. That's for sure. Yeah, Caden, there's no denying that at some point, number 10 will be retired at Coastal Carolina after 
the heights that he was able to take this program to. And he's also graduated now from Coastal Carolina, which would allow him to go into the Hall of Fame. I know that was something that when we spoke to him earlier this year was something that he cared about and he wanted to be a part of in the future. Caden, talking though about this matchup, I'm excited to watch a couple of these big body wide receivers in this game. We spoke with Coastal Carolina wide receiver Sam Pinckney earlier in this episode. We're also going to get to see San Jose State wide receiver Nick Nash. When you look at Pinckney's, his stats this year, 64 catches, 904 yards, and seven touchdowns. Nash, pretty similar, 47 catches, 704 yards, eight touchdowns. Pinckney's career is ultimately going to come to an end at the end of this game, but he will be the all-time leader in receiving yards in Sunbelt history. Nash will planning to be back at San Jose State next year. Caden, both of these guys are elite weapons for their respective quarterbacks to utilize. And it would seem like Pinckney, who's 6'4", 220, and Nash, who's 6'3", 200, would be nightmares to guard as a defensive back, Cato. Yeah, it definitely depends on your body type as a defensive back that you want to defend. I know me personally, I like the bigger body guys just as a guy who was 6'1". The little slot receivers, the Jared Browns, the Jared Brown of, of Coastal Carolina was someone I definitely didn't want to guard. Those are just harder guys to get your hands on. But there's no denying that the physicality and what these two guys are able to do with the position is huge for both of their offense. I think especially when you look at a guy like Sam when you look at a quarterback position that was kind of a revolving door this year, when you have that 6'4", big body guy who can get to the sticks, get to the end zone, get to the chains and catch almost every ball you throw his way as a shirt-handed weapon, that's just an asset you can't deny and you just can't take lightly. And it's a priceless thing to have, especially given their quarterback circumstances this year. He's just been able to do it all for this team. But I think more specifically, what he's been able to do with his size, his ability to catch 50-50 balls and make those contested catches for Coastal really came up big for this team. And you could definitely say that that five-game winning streak that they went on, which just couldn't be the same if you have not Sam Pickney in the lineup, just given the body types of the rest of their wide receiving core. You mentioned a guy like Jared Brown being their next, that next best guy. He's obviously not that same kind of position, but them being able to contrast each other throughout the season worked really well for Coastal Carolina. And looking on the San Jose State side of things, you look at Nick Nash. This is a guy who has a very similar body type, very similar build and skill set. Doesn't quite have the reception numbers that Sam has just because he hasn't been leaned on as much as that. But where he does have the edge up, on Sam looks like is just the red zone efficiency. This is a guy who has eight touchdowns this year. When you get in that low red area, you can expect this guy to get 50-50 balls. He caught an amazing pass against USC in the back of the end zone with one hand. He's a 15 yards per catch kind of guy. So these are the kind of receivers that were nightmares for a lot of defense. Not as much of a nightmare for a guy like Caden Smith because he had a little bit more of the size to him. But these are definitely guys that are extremely valuable assets to any offense. If you have a big body receiver who can put his back to defensive backs, catch the ball, keep the chains moving for you, and especially be explosive in the red zone as well with catching contested balls, 50-50 balls, and getting those highlight real worthy plays just adds another level of energy and excitement to your team as well. Yeah, I think it's a big reason why guys like this probably going to play on Sundays at some point. You can't teach size, and both of these guys certainly have that. Kane, talking about a matchup to watch here, for me, it's both teams' offenses versus these opposition defenses, and that might sound like a cop-out, but when you look at both of these teams, they boast similarly strong offenses. Coastal Carolina scoring nearly 30 points per game this year. San Jose State about three points per game better at 33, but they're both fairly balanced and they utilize the run games a lot in their offense. You look at their defenses and they're both giving up about 25 points a game. It's hard to state that one team is clearly better, honestly, in my opinion, which is why the line is so surprising in this game. But Cato, in a bowl game, do you feel like the offense or the defense has more of an advantage given the fact that you're just seeing film on most of these opponents? 
Yeah, with my bias and my opinion as a defensive player, I just have to go with the offense having the advantage. When you watch film, and we've been referencing many a times the infamous Western Kentucky Bowl game where we were watching them on film, and you see how efficient a team can be, and just not being able to really compare them to teams you've played makes it very hard as far as an offense. You're trying to compare the competition you've gotten in the Sun Belt, and you're not seeing any Sun Belt teams on film, and you're having to compare an offense and what they're able to do against different personnel, different body types, and every conference just has different calling cards as far as staples of what make their defenses successful. And I also think just from a game planning standpoint, you look defensively and you have a ton of bowl prep. Sometimes you can kind of get away from yourself as far as what your bread and butter is, what's going to work effectively for you. I remember playing bowl games specifically close to Christmas and having our coaching staffs on the defense kind of go back and forth from maybe we should do this, maybe we should do that, or over kind of analyzing and thinking about how your practice is going. Versus an offense, if you kind of have your staple plays, you know your style and scheme, you can only add to that, I think, and get it better. It's a lot harder, I think, to overthink offense. You can add more wrinkles, add more things to your offense that make it harder for defenses to defend, especially in a bowl game. You might see some more trickery. You can see a reverse, a double pass. You have to be kind of a little bit more heightened and ready for anything in a bowl game because it is one game. Winning one football game is a lot different than going through a schedule in your conference and trying to put together a different film, establish an identity. Here you have to just lean into what you got, lean into what got you to the bowl game. If you have players that aren't there for you, lean into their skill sets as well. And I think that just makes it a little bit harder for defenses. So looking at both of these defenses who have been solid this year, it's going to be interesting to watch how they kind of go about attacking these offenses, knowing that they kind of have a full deck of cards. When you look at Coastal Carolina, their litany of backs they're able to use, them being effective in the pass game. And the same thing with San Jose State having an excellent thousand yard running back, some receivers that can get the job done in a dual threat quarterback. So I think offensively, it's definitely going to be a little bit more stress on both of these defensive course, playing in warm weather, playing in a, a beautiful environment with offenses that like to get it done a lot of different ways. Really looking forward to seeing how these defenses approach this one for sure. Yeah, we'll be honest. It'll be easy to get uh, that sweat up, get lathered up out in uh, beautiful Honolulu, Hawaii. Okay, let's name some X factors here. For me, I'm going to take an offensive guy and I'm taking the low-hanging fruit here and it's Sam Pinckney who we spoke to on this episode He'll be playing in his final collegiate game. He has a catch in 57 straight games. I love the opportunity for that to go to 58 and end his career. Kane, here's another reason why I'm taking him. He's 96 yards away from a 1,000-yard season, and I found this interesting. Despite his prowess, he's never had a 1,000-yard receiving year. He had 996 last year. I think they're going to dial it up to Sam a few times here and try to get him to that 1,000-yard mark. And for that reason, I think he's going to make a big impact in this game. I think he's going over a thousand yards receiving, and he's going to have a big gay or a big game against San Jose State. Definitely a good call, especially considering Jared um, Brown's status being in the transfer portal right now. Sam Pickney was already the one number one receiver of this team, and going into this matchup without that clear number two, you're definitely going to expect big things out of Sam, and I definitely think that's a good, solid, safe pick as kind of our, our MVP of the episode right here. For defense, I'm also going for a pretty easy pick. I'm going with Clayton Isabel. This is a guy who is one of the most versatile players in the sun, but when you look at what he was able to do, and I think going up against an offense like San Jose State's, who's been proficient in the run game and the pass game, you're going to need a guy to be your impact player that can be effective in defending both of those games. This is a guy from a safety spot that was able to lead this team in tackles this year with 86, which is just a huge deal I think when you look at what they have in their linebacking core with guys like a Kellen and a Bruce who are sideline to sideline guys, Clayton Isabel was still able to lead this team in tackles. And then he had his three interceptions this year. We know those were all in the first game of the season against UCLA. So hopefully in this matchup, maybe he can add that to a four, get another interception under his belt as a great defender as well, who was able to break up some passes, five pass breakups this season too. So I think as far as what San Jose is capable of, I think the best counter to what they're capable of is a guy like Clayton Isabel, who's going to be able to get it done in a bunch of different ways for this Coastal Carolina defense in this matchup. 
Yeah, I love that pick. Perhaps a chance to put a few bookends on what's been a, a very good season for the transfer Clayton Isbell at Coastal Carolina. Okay, and one more game to talk about on this episode, and that is the famous Idaho Potato Bowl between Georgia State, who's six and six. They're taking on a Utah State team that's six and six out of the Mount or Mountain West Conference. The winning head coach of this game gets a bucket of French fries dumped on them. So consider me in. This game played at Albertson Stadium in Boise, Idaho, on the blue turf that Boise State made famous years ago. On December 23rd, 3.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 p.m. Central on ESPN. They Georgia State making their fourth bowl appearance in the last five years. They didn't make a bowl last season. Our listeners would know that. The fifth different bowl game in program history that Georgia State's been a part of. And, Caden, they hold a 3-2 and two record uh, in bowl season. I found this interesting. The only two losses have actually been against Mountain West Conference opponents. Uh, they've never faced Utah State. Fourth appearance in the, four, in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl for Utah State. They're actually tied with Boise State in Nevada for the most appearances ever in this game. Caden, let's talk Georgia State here because they had one of the stranger seasons in the Sun Belt this year. They were... Six and one after seven games. I think many people were ready to see them in the conference championship game, but then you lose five straight to end the regular season. Their defense really hurt them down the stretch. Caden, what went wrong for Georgia State this year? And in your opinion, what's the state of this program right now under Sean Elliott? Yeah, a lot went wrong, Noah, especially compared to the start they were having. I mean, when this team started off 4-0 and and had that big win against Coastal Carolina on primetime TV, it looked like a program that was just injected with a new sense of life and sense of energy. We talked in the offseason to their players and coaches about they're having them getting a new strength coach and them having just different kind of a, a built different in the offseason with what they were able to do and push themselves and get to a different level. And you saw that early in the season. But once you got past those wins against Marshall and UL, this team just looked absolutely different. You mentioned the defense letting them down. This is a team that gave up over 40 points in their last five game, four of their last five games, giving up 44 to Southern, 42 to James Madison, 42 to App State, 56 to LSU. Obviously can't do much with LSU in that situation. But I think on the flip side, the defense just became contagious to the offense. You just saw Darren Granger not looking as comfortable as he did in the beginning of the season. Marcus Carroll wasn't as effective. He kind of just ended up being what the, the only steady force could be for this offense. And if you're going to have that running game and that running back be your steady force and be a guy who ends the season second in the nation and carries and you don't have the points to come behind it or the defense to come behind it, that's just when you see yourself losing in the way Georgia State lost at the end of the season. I think it also speaks to the conference and how the conference competition, especially in the East, was just a little bit stacked this year. Obviously, we know that there's a lot of teams in the East that can pretty much beat each other on any given day. And Georgia State just looked like they were on the losing side of that constantly at the end of the season. And looking forward for this program, we're going to talk more about some of the transfer portal stuff they have going on. I like that they got into a very close, tight contest with Old Dominion with a one-point loss to end the year, at least showing some more signs of life. But I think this bowl game is going to really tell us how we should feel about this Georgia State program moving forward. This team isn't going to be having all of their weapons. They're going to be extremely undermanned on both sides of the ball. And if they're able to at least put up a fight like they did against Old Dominion, I'd feel more promising about this program versus if we see some of these lopsided performances we saw in the month of November. Ken, you touched on it. And for me, I think the biggest storyline in this game is the key departures. You've got a guy like Marcus Carroll, who was arguably the Sunbelt's best running back outside of Kimani Vidal this year. He's headed to Mizzou. You've got Robert Lewis transferring to Auburn. You've got two starting tackles in Cunningham and Glover, both going to Power 5 level jobs. That makes 11 players that have transferred out of this program to Power 5 teams in just the last two seasons. 
Kaden, we can talk about the advantages and disadvantages of the transfer portal all we want, but this is clearly a Georgia State team that is producing talent. It's just hard for them to keep it given the unique challenges that they face as a program. And for me, that begs the question, is this sustainable for Georgia State? It's not, no. I think when you look at this Georgia State program, they're in the state of Georgia, and this is a very popular and, and, and great place to recruit in your own backyard. And they've been able to do that. They've been able to get great talent on the field for them. But when your team becomes kind of that stepping stone program, which has look, been looking like the last couple of years, where if you're very productive, you can expect those players to be gone. That's just terrible for your culture, just straight up when you're talking to high schoolers and telling them to come in and you're going to play and you're selling them on going to Georgia State. Well, when your best players aren't there to kind of co-sign on that and double down on that because they're heading out of the transfer portal, it's just not a great look for your program. And it's definitely putting them in a tough spot right now. I think when you look at transfer portal departures, they're not all created equally. When you look at a winning program like James Madison, who has a bunch of people in the transfer portal, a lot of those guys are playing at bowl games. A lot of those guys are graduates who are just seeing what's out there in the transfer portal. Those guys haven't committed yet versus Georgia State team, the second straight offseason. They're having guys as soon as the season is over, already taking visits to bigger conferences, already taking visits to bigger schools and just not great for the culture right now. I think when you look at a player personnel standpoint and if other people come into the program, have great years and they leave and it's not surprising, that's just not that's just not a great culture to establish. It's not rocket science here when you have an App State program who's keeping a quarterback in Joey Aguilar who could probably be one of the biggest benefactors in the entire conference as far as the transfer portal staying at his school. But as this the second that a guy as a Georgia State Panther is a guy who's nationally acclaimed as far as what he's able to do statistically and on the field, and they're automatically out of there and that you expect that. To happen, it's just not a great look for the program. They're definitely going to have to do some digging of their own in the transfer portal and just do a better job, I think, from an NIL standpoint, a resources standpoint, from just a program standpoint of giving these guys a reason to stay, giving these guys a reason to stick it out. Because right now it just looks like it's more of a trend where it's common to do that. And that's just not the culture you want to build at a program, that's for sure. Yeah, Kane, I think those are some great points. And fans of other programs in the Sun Belt, they love to dunk on the attendance at Georgia State. I'm not going to do that here. But I think that, you know, does matter at the end of the day. But for me, this is a bigger issue right now. These players leaving and kind of using Georgia State simply as a stepping stone. And it's hard to just build that culture, that consistency over time if you continue to lose players like this year in and year out. Kaden, let's talk about a matchup to watch in this game. And for me, it's the quarterbacks versus the opposing passing defenses. Both of these teams ha have been susceptible to opposition's passing offenses this year. Georgia State's given up 287 yards per game through the air. Uh, Utah State, 216 yards per game. Georgia State has a number of guys in the transfer portal as well in that secondary. Um, Brykees Brown is already committed to go to Boston College, so he's not going to play. You've got Darren Granger for Georgia State. He's going to go down. Caden is arguably the best quarterback in program history. He's thrown for over 6,000 yards. He's ran for nearly 2,000 more. He'll probably go over 2,000 in this game. He's responsible for 67 career touchdowns, the most ever by a Georgia State quarterback. Meanwhile, for Utah State, they're down to junior Levi Williams, who's expected to start uh, after some injuries in the quarterback room. He had a career-best five touchdowns in that regular season finale versus New Mexico. Kaden, big picture here, When, as a defense, when you're facing a dual-threat quarterback, what makes that so difficult to defend? Oh, what makes it not difficult to defend is a, que a better question, though. When you talk about just being a defensive player and the kind of body types and players that you don't want to defend, that you don't want to have to account for, you know from my experience and what I've said about them previously, it's the small slot right receivers I can get open. And right in front of that, and the number one thing for sure, is a great dual-threat quarterback. A dual-threat quarterback 
just gives your offense a, almost a, another set of legs. Almost, it's almost like playing with a 12th player on offense at, at times, especially when you have a guy as effective as Darren Granger. And this is a guy who, in his career, was able to lean on his legs early as he grew as a passer. And towards the end of his career, seeing him play some of the best football in these last two seasons with Georgia State, being able to complement his legs with his arm is just an absolute scary sight for every defense that plays them. It makes things more difficult in the run game. It makes more difficult in the pass game as far as having to account for a quarterback that can scramble. You have to have a spy and someone on that person at all times, just anticipating them being able to run. And it takes another person out of coverage for you. And in the run game, it provides a different set of plays that you have to prep for on a weekly basis. There's teams in the country who either have designed runs in their playbook or they don't. And if you have a dual threat quarterback, you have those plays in there. It's more for your defense to practice and prepare for. And in the game, now when we talk about having to tackle the quarterback, it's even harder. I always thought in my career, tackling a quarterback is always the hardest thing to do because there's just times where it seems like they don't even know what they're going to do. They don't know what their next move is going to be. They're just kind of playing with some some with not enough care, some with too much care, and you have to be careful with how you tackle them as well. So everything from tackling quarterback to preparing during the week just makes it difficult for a defense as a whole. And I think especially these two guys in particular, short yardage in the red zone is where I expect them to be the most effective in this game. We know when we get to third and medium, especially with a Georgia State team that's not going to have all of its weapons in the backfield, we can expect Darren Granger to move the chains himself. And that's something that's very hard to defend. And when you look at Levi Williams, even in this game, this is a six foot five, 230 pound guy who had three rushing touchdowns in his last game. All three of those rushing touchdowns were in overtime. He played in a double overtime game against UNM. And I think when you look at a guy and you get in that red zone area and you have that threat of your legs, some quarterbacks who are that size, who have that skill, they just sniff out the end zone. They want to get in there and it makes it very stressful as a red, red zone defense as well, trying to account for that. So in every, in, in long story short, in summary, going against a dual threat quarterback is very hard. It makes anything that's already hard for your defense, even harder from a mental and physical standpoint. I can't wait to watch two guys duke it out though, as a fan who's watching and not having to defend these guys can't wait to watch some explosive plays with the arm and the legs of both of these teams. Well, and Caden, to your point, uh, referees protect quarterbacks and rightfully so in my opinion, but uh, it has made it more challenging for defensive players uh, to tackle quarterbacks. So that certainly is another element that gets added in. Caden, real quickly, just an X factor offensively in your mind for Georgia State. Yeah, no surprise here. You have to go with Darren Granger in this matchup. You mentioned two of his offensive tackles not being in there. That's huge. That's just a different level of edge pressure this guy's going to have to deal with. No Marcus Carroll or Casey Adams in this matchup. So the two top running backs for this team are gone. Darren Granger ended the season as his team's second leading rusher and the only guy who has anything close to the amount of carries. The next guy who has the most carries on this team, rather, is a guy in Freddie Brock who has six carries this season. So you look at him also not having Robert Lewis. I think the connection with Talik Williams is going to be huge for Darren in this matchup too. But Darren's had to put his Superman cape on in the past for this team, but not in a situation like this where he has his top receiver and his top tackles and his top running back not in this matchup. So Darren Granger's last game, I expect him to leave it all out there, and he's going to have to probably run the ball a lot, probably throw the ball a lot, and really not just be the engine of this offense like he always been, but being a, be a diesel uh, V8, whatever you want to call it. He's going to have to be the ultimate engine of this offense this in this game specifically, just given the weapons he's not going to have. Yeah, they're definitely going to have to ask a lot there of Darren Granger. Kind of staying on the, a similar theme, Kate, and I've got Jordan Venzial as my X-Factor player on defense, and the reason why... John Trey Hunter, who was this team's leading tackler, he's apt, opted out of the bowl game as he pursues the NFL draft. Certainly wish him the best in that pursuit. But, Caden, that leaves a gaping hole at linebacker. And Benzial's a guy who was one of our top 10 linebackers heading into the season. He lost his spot, but he still had a respectable year. 49 tackles, five and a half TFLs this year. He surely obviously wanted a better year than he had. But 
look for him to make a real impact in this game. I don't think it's crazy to assume that he's almost a lock for probably eight to 10 tackles in this game on Saturday. Well, Caden, two more bowl games, uh, you know, done. We've still got uh, one more that we will preview later on in the week, but that's going to do it for our easy post Hawaii and famous Idaho potatoes bowl previews. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to coastal Carolina, Sam Pinckney, for joining us, as well as to Associate AD Rickson Lane for helping make today's conversation possible. Before you go, here's a quick reminder. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll be previewing the upcoming Camellia and 68 Ventures Bowl featuring Arkansas State and South Alabama. Plus, Arkansas State center and all-conference pick Jacob Bayer will stop by to discuss A-State's preparations. You're going to want to give it a listen. That'll do it for us here at the Frey and Smith Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, do us a favor. Tell a friend about the show. Help us continue to grow this into the premier destination for Sunbelt football fans. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Frary. Thanks for spending time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.